Come on. Scott Shea is founder and executive chairman of Signature Bank. He's a committed member of his community, and he is the author of In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism. And now finally, a guest on Lifeblood Complete. Welcome, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here, George. Yeah, this is George G. Let, let's go. Scott, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, it's. I think one key part to my growing up, and I, uh, that I can't overstress how impactful it was to me, my father was also named George, um, but different than you, he grew up in Sveksner, Lithuania, and um, in 1941, the Nazis came, and they killed his father. They murdered his father, um, his brothers, his aunts, his uncles, his cousins. Everybody was was essentially murdered. He was sent to a slave labor camp. And um, when he was finally liberated by the Americans, we just celebrated Memorial Day whenever this appears, but yesterday was Memorial Day. My father was always so grateful to the United States because he was less than 70 pounds. And the American army sent him to a hospital and nursed him back to health over uh, the course of a year. And when he got here, he started a life from scratch, literally, with just the clothes on his back. He got to, he came to Chicago, got married, had one child. That was me. And so for my whole life, I grew up um, knowing that my father had been to hell, literally, and back. And um, that had a tremendous impact on how I view life. I mean, whenever there was any, you know, I had some setback or I was complaining about something he would say to me uh it's bad but it's not the concentration camps <laughs> and uh there's no comeback from that no, because <laughs> he was obviously right you know i you know whatever little setback i had um was nothing and uh and and so it, he stuck with me he was a tremendous influence on me and he was uh, he always taught me the importance of recognizing good and evil and aligning yourself with good. And that needs to be how you conduct yourself in life and how you conduct yourself in business. And so I've always tried to be involved with companies and st I've started and been a founder of a few companies actually, um, including Signature Bank. And we can talk more about that at some point, but that are committed to the golden rule. Don't do unto someone else what you wouldn't want done unto you. And that's so at the core of fairness. And that's something that I learned, I learned certainly from my father and from my growing up and in, in my experience. Nice. Why well, I appreciate all that. Um, and yeah, I guess extremely valuable as a child, but also tough when you're having a lousy day but your dad just has that uh, has that trump card always. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. That's so, for sure. So what 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 was the motivator for putting pen to paper and writing in in good faith? Well, I had a number of friends who told me that they sent that they had sent their kids to either Catholic school K through 12 or day school, Jewish day school 
where they went to church every Sunday. And in one case, someone told me they sent their, their son to, um, to uh, a Jesuit school, actually, George, you know, uh, uh, George Washington in, um, in, uh, in, in Washington, and then the person came back an atheist. Um, this young man came back an atheist. And I realized that I had written a book before this, that people started coming to me and asking me questions about God. Does it make any sense to believe in God? Is that just sort of the tooth fairy and Santa Claus? And I realized there were basically three groups of people, those who thought they still believed, even though they thought it made no sense, those who just didn't believe and really did think God was the tooth fairy and Santa Claus, and those who were wondering how they could square rational belief with, uh, with the rational belief in God, with everything they knew about science and the historicity of the Bible and the like. And people would ask me questions about the God delusion, you know, Richard Dawkins' book, or God is Not Great by um, Christopher Hitchens. And I was sort of surprised that I was getting these, these questions. But I'm, you know, I'm known as someone who, who in, in, my, in, the, in the work arena, who's involved with these issues. I'm very Jewishly communally involved. And I started by writing an article. And then I realized there was really a book here. And so I spent five years. I, one thing that people who know me know is that once I do something, I'm a little bit obsessive. Uh, hopefully in a good way when it comes to my business work, business life, but certainly in, in all ways. Um, and so for five years, I wrote this work on writing this book, and it, it answers basically all of those big-name, famous atheist writers. And um, the best compliment I've gotten is from some atheists who said, at least I gave them some doubts about their doubts. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. that, that is a I think that that is an excellent compliment right there for a committed atheist to 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 tell you that they that you gave them some 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 doubts about their doubts. I think is 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 a really powerful thing. To what do you attribute people drifting away from from organized religion? I think organized religion has made a um it's really not uh, reacted to the times. Um, I think organized religion sort of felt that in the old days you could just say, you know, my 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 father, my father so I will too, and that'll happen to my grandchildren. But science has science, and more than even science, which I don't think is a huge a huge challenge to religion, but the secular society and secular universities have really been instrumental. I mean, I, I, I've heard from, a, I've spoken to a number of universities, college campuses, and people say, students tell me, you know, they come to university religious and then they hear from their teachers, don't worry, you're just clinging to your parents' superstitions, hmm. but we'll teach you correctly that all of that's bunk. And that's the ethos, the under, that's the, that is the underlying sense that is in university that really belief in God is stupid. And so my book basically came to explain why science is no challenge for religion, why 
how to understand good and evil, how to understand my father's experience. You know, if we believe in an all good God, how can we imagine that something like the Holocaust could happen? I talk about and I deal with all of the bad parts of the Bible. There's one section just dealing with all the parts of the Bible that people have a lot of difficulty with and explaining in great detail, because usually a close reading actually answers a lot of the questions that people have. And I talk about what I think the Bible came to do, which is to combat idolatry. And um, if you'll give me a few paragraphs, this because this is a key point in my book and yeah. a key point, I think, in life, is that people think idolatry is just a sort of quaint bowing down to to, to, to idols or, you know, watching Percy Jackson or, or something like that or some quaint uh, Wiccan spells. But what, if you read the Bible, you'll find that it's clear. The Bible is actually a set of lies about power. It's ascribing super authority or superpowers to finite people or natural processes. And, and what does that mean? That means that God, King Pharaohs, like the Pharaoh of yesteryear, used poetry, power, pageantry to persuade the people that that God King was the all powerful ruler and under whatever the ideology was. And we thought we licked Pharaohs and folks like that. But if you look at the 20th century, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao, the Assad family, the Kim family, I can go on and on and on. Um, how did Stalin starve a quarter of the Ukraine, kill all the kulaks, send tens of millions to the gulag? And nobody questioned him. Mao caused the death of 75 million of his countrymen. And nobody questioned them because they were God kings. And the ideology was essentially idolatry. It was the set of lies about power. And it's not just on the macro level. But it's also what I've learned and what I've tried to, and, and this has been helpful to people, it's also on the micro, on our intimate encounters. How did Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer and Harvey Weinstein, and unfortunately that list can go on and on and on, how did they do what they did? How did they abuse so many people? Because they set themselves up as idols. Charlie Rose was unquestioned and unquestionable at CBS. What he said was truth, just like the God King Pharaoh or Stalin or Mao. What came out of their mouths was truth. So it's very hard to challenge them unless, like the ancient Israelites, you have all, you know, hundreds of, you know, many thousands revolting. And it was only once people revolted that, of course, the idolatry becomes apparent and those folks are turned over but they had they got away with true abuse for so long and and it was all about idolatry they were they were little god kings they didn't have superpowers but they super certainly had super authority so what charlie rose might say or what harvey weinstein let's take him could either make or break a career and i've seen that in business and, and so that was actually one of the big motivations as well for me to write this book because I think it's important that people understand idolatry when it's right in front of them. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And so many examples throughout history and obviously the Bible <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and still showing up today, which I, I guess should, should, shouldn't really surprise anybody. 
talking about how it 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 took um it 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 it, it took the ancient Jews to 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 overturn Pharaoh. Um, when when you're looking at, at at today's world, will it also take a collective group of people coming together to make this shift? What's 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 the role of the individual versus versus the collective? And let me take that one step further because it's something that I've been thinking a, a good amount about over the past several years. Is what what is organized religion's role um, in, in 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 this moving forward, and how can they bring people back in to create that collective? Or I could be on the wrong track. No, no, no. I think those are I think those are actually profound and difficult questions. So look, the Bible says. And, and, I, and I really am inspired by this, that one person can make a huge difference, you know, whether it be Moses or Devorah sitting under her tree and she got up and led the Israelites uh, to victory, or Esther in the book of Esther, um, Princess Jehoshaphat who gets too little press from the Bible, who bailed out the whole um, Davidic dynasty. One person can make all the difference in the world. And I, and I really believe that. I really believe strongly that we all are here for, there's two great days for people, let me put it this way. When you're born, because you, you have a chance, you're part of life. And then the day you figure out why you were born. Mm. What are you here to do? What's your purpose on this planet? And it could be something small or it could be something large. But most people, a lot of people go through life never figuring that out, never trying to figure that out. Why am I here? What good can I do? And I think that's what the Bible is supposed to inspire people to figure out. So, yes, the collective is important. I think you know, the problem has been that sometimes organized religion has become an idolatry in and of itself. It assumes a super authority. Mm. It assumes a superpower. That's not appropriate. And that's what people are reacting to, to a certain degree, um, when they are repelled by folks who set themselves up as God, King, Pharaohs. Let me just say, I think people overlook this, but the third commandment, the way the Jews and I think the Catholics count it, Protestants count some groups differently, but the third commandment says, don't take God's name in vain, for if you do, there is no repentance. So, most people think it's like swearing in God's name or like that, but it's it's much more profound again. The first two the first two commandments are definitely about idolatry. The third commandment is saying, if you set yourself up as the sole spokesperson for God and say, God spoke to me, called into your podcast and spoke to me and told me what to do, well, you're essentially weaponizing monotheism in the name of idolatry because you're the God King again. Mm. You're the one with the direct line. And people are reacting to that, I think. People who set themselves up and don't recognize that, yes, you should give people guidance as organized religion, but you also have to empower and ennoble people to figure things out. Make the texts open. Talk to people. And if you do... Um, I think people will um, will be involved. So many people when I'm on book tour have told me, I mean, well, when I was on book tour in person before before coronavirus, right. but even on Zooms and others, I've heard this, is that there's certain there's some sort of higher power in the world. They just 
don't think it's it's through organized religion. And I think my my book has helped some of those people because I didn't write it from an organized religion basis. I wrote it from a figure it out yourself basis and figure out how organized religion can be relevant to your life if it can be. I mean, I don't think you need to be involved in organized religion to be a good person. That's for sure not the case because there are plenty of counterexamples, unfortunately. I think being a good person uh, supersedes all. Was your dad involved in organized religion? So my father had an interesting story on this, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell it to you briefly. So my father would make sure that I went to synagogue, and I'd go to synagogue with him. But it was interesting, and I noticed this, is that during services, um, he would talk to the person next to him. And when the rabbi was speaking, he'd be, he wouldn't speak, so he'd just doze off. And he'd always go, they had something afterward called Kiddush or collation. He'd love that. He was always involved in that. And I realized after a while that my father and other Holocaust survivors also didn't really pray at synagogue. And it took me a long time to figure it out. But my father was certain there was a God because the fact that he got from Svexen to free out, out of the concentration camps to Chicago and got married and was had his health was so improbable. I mean, if your books, if one of your books that was behind you was stacked in a different direction, he would have been dead. If he were one step to the right, one step to the left, he would have been dead. If he were one step forward, one step back, he would be dead. And you know what? I'm not exaggerating. That's the frightening thing. So he was certain there was a God because he knew he couldn't have survived. There were so many miracles, so many miracles over his years in slave labor in the concentration camp. But he was also angry at God because why hadn't his father been saved and his brothers and his aunts and his uncles and his cousins? I mean, that's it weighs pretty heavily on someone. Yeah. I mean, his family was wiped up. My closest relative is a is a second cousin once removed. Hmm. I mean, that's it. Um, on my father's side, on my mother's side, it's a little closer, but on my father's side, that's it. Everybody was wiped out. And so he was angry at God. And I, I realized he's given God the silent treatment. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I'm showing up to the synagogue. This is important. I want my son to get bar mitzvah. I want him to be part of this place. But you, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and I think God got that with the survivors. And I think he understood. That's my feeling. I obviously don't know that for a fact, but um, that's how I that that. So it's an interesting question that you asked. No, no, probably no, a longer no, answer than you were expecting. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. So, so when somebody picks up the book, what are what what can they expect to get out of it, and what are you hoping they get out of it? Well, two things. Number one, I wrote it so that it could be a reference book. So if something's bothering you, you can go straight to that piece, like. What about evolution in the Bible? What about science and creation in the Bible? What about you know uh, some of the bad parts of the Bible that everybody is you know uh, concerned about that it offends them? So you can go straight to those chapters. But I'm really hoping people read it from start to finish. It's done pretty well. It's had two uh, two hardcover printings. It's done. It's in, it came out in soft cover. It's in paperback. Uh, an audio book has uh, come out. So. 
There are church groups and other groups that are doing book clubs on it right now, or book groups on it right now. So I, it's been, I've been really gratified with the response. I try to keep it light. It's not deep because I don't want it to, I didn't want to write some deep theological book. I'm a business person. And so a lot of that business stuff comes through. It's a light read in that sense. Not light, but it's not a heavy read. Yeah, it's 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 accessible, Scott. Accessible, I love that word. <laughs> well, I, I certainly appreciate I appreciate the work, uh, and I appreciate the effort that and, and the thought and everything else that that, that 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 went into to to writing it. So thank you, and thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you, and where can they get a copy of In Good Faith: Questioning Religion and Atheism? Well, they can get it. Uh, first of all, they can learn about me by going to scottshay.com. Um, there's also articles that I write about, not just religion, but about business and the like, everything from LIBOR to cryptocurrencies um, to religion to Hong Kong. Um, so they can go there. Uh, you can buy a copy of the book. You can get a link through the website. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's at, at Barnes & Noble. It's, it, it, they're, when they're, it's it, basically wherever good books are sold, it's at. Um, so you, Amazon's the easiest way to get it, but I like to support other bookstores and booksellers as well. Um, and I hope people do reach out. I hope they do. Um, I hope they do, uh, do consider the book. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Scott your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to scottshay.com. That's S C O T T S H A Y. Com. And obviously, Scott and I have talked a lot about extremely important topic, but he's obviously a very successful businessman as well. So check out all the great resources he has and pick up a copy of In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism, wherever fine books are sold. Thanks again, Scott. It's a, been a pleasure to be here, George. Thank you for hosting me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.